everyone and welcome to another episode of the virtual coffee break with the MSU Extension Dairy Team. Today's episode will be interesting to say the least. Farm management educator John Laporte will have a conversation with Paul Wendemuller. Paul is a dairy farmer in the west side of the state of Michigan that owns and manages his 250 cow dairy on 13 acres of land. I know I'm looking forward to learn how he has taken this low-cost approach to manage his operation. John? Take it away. My name is John Laporte. We are joined today with a dairy farmer out of Ottawa County, Paul Windenmaller, who is a low-cost dairy operation. Uh, we're going to speak today about what that means to be a low-cost operation in the dairy field. Paul, thank you for joining us for, for this segment. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. Look forward to it. Well, as we get started here, Paul, why don't we dive right into talking about your dairy operation and describe for us a little bit about what your operation looks like and how you kind of approach this concept of low cost. Yeah, so I'm a first generation dairy farmer. My wife and I started our farm here in May of 2014. We started shipping milk uh, with 30 cows in a homemade parlor and we put some uh, freestall in an old turkey coop that was on the farm. We started from there. Currently, we milk about 250 cows on four Lely robots in freestall barns. Since we started, we built uh, two new freestall barns to house the, uh, both the milking cows and the dry cows. Have a farm on 13 acres. Um, that's all the land that we own. And uh, we buy in all of our feed and we don't raise any of our own replacements as well. Little background on myself, what you're referring to as the low cost approach. Uh, I dairy farmed for a little bit out in New Zealand, uh, also studied dairy production out there at Lincoln University for a semester, and was really uh, intrigued by how uh, minimal capital uh, output that they had on most of the dairy farms over there, and uh, wanted to try and bring that same concept into my own business here in the U.S. So there's a lot of kind of unique things, I think, that's, that jump out about your farm operation, and uh, some decisions I can tell just listen to that description that you made uh, in terms of the direction you want to go to kind of kind of head this low cost area. How important is it to identify and really focus on uh, managing areas that your farm excels at? So can you talk a little bit about how you identified and focused on those and how those really play into the success your farm has found from beginning to where you are now? I just focused on a few different areas. Uh, I enjoyed uh, working with milk cows and uh, enjoyed the, the financial side of the business as well and sourcing and, and basically building up uh, relationships, developing relationships with suppliers and, and risk management. I guess those are my areas that I really uh, feel like I excel at and enjoy. Uh, other areas like um, cropping and breeding, those type of things, I was not as good at. And my philosophy was if I'm not going to be great at it, um, I'm going to delegate it to somebody else. If I have to have it on my operation, uh, things like heifer raising, uh, I don't do that. I don't raise, I don't keep any of my own replacements. I buy them all in. That's one of my uh, downfalls is I really like buying cows. So <laughs> that worked out pretty well there, but that's my philosophy is, is focus on a few things that I'm good at and delegate uh, areas that I'm not. 
And I think being able to focus on the things that you're really good at. You mentioned also the things you like to do. Uh, passions for things that you enjoy, I'm sure probably plays into that a little bit too, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's usually what you're good at is what you're probably going to enjoy doing. Um, if you're bad at something, you're probably not as likely to enjoy it. So that's that was kind of my focus was really understanding myself, what I thought I could bring to a successful business. And then, um, like I said, building relationships with others that can do those other areas well that I'm not as good at and delegating it to those people and just building long lasting, long-term relationships, not like not one-off deals. Let's, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about kind of the production side of the farm, because with a dairy farm, the first thing we think about is milk. And so our natural thought is we've got to have a lot of milk to be able to generate revenue, but is maximizing milk really where your focus is, or is it more on the components? How, how does that production side lead to that revenue generation, eventual profit that you're seeking? Yeah, I think historically, if you look at uh, the federal milk marketing order in, in Michigan, it used to be very heavily weighted toward class one, where the component values didn't really make that big of a difference to your milk check. Well, especially over the last 10 years, that's changed dramatically. And I think um, that was that's one of the things that the industry is slow to shift to the adoption of more of a component mentality. And I think we've definitely come a long ways, especially in the last couple of years now. I've seen a lot of um, data recently in the last couple of months of how much higher our, our components are overall as an industry in this region of the country uh, on fat and protein. So I, I think the message is getting across to the industry now. But my focus ever since I started was really component efficiency. I wanted to produce the most uh, combined fat and protein per pound of uh, dry matter fed. So my main inputs obviously are feed and I want to maximize uh, my return to my feed. And I also want to maximize the revenue. And, and now we're getting paid on, on solids more than fluids. So that's been my mentality since I started and um, continue to look at that very consistently. I'm okay with producing a lower amount of, of pounds per cow if, uh, if I can maintain a proper component efficiency. You still need volume of, of milk per cow in order to increase those components and, and have a good level of components, but that's not my main focus. So Paul, you mentioned being able to get those components and the volume is really important and uh, that feed's really important. But one of the things you also mentioned is that your farm only has 13 acres. So do you rent a lot of acres or do you buy your own feed? Yeah, so I buy in virtually all my feed. The only feed that I really grow on my farm is I have about eight acres of pasture that I uh, do rotate dry cows on throughout the summer. Uh, other than that, we, we purchase all of our feed. What led to your decision to purchase your feed instead of renting acres to grow it yourself? When I started, I had very, very little capital uh, to start. And I needed to focus all that capital on what made money that month in order to make the business uh, go and to grow it. So that was the biggest thing that led me to uh, purchase all my feed was to be able to just focus my capital that I did have in adding more cows. So the limited resources was probably the biggest factor and just being able to generate more and more cash flow from cows versus the smaller amount of cash flow and return that I would get from buying land. So 
really focusing my resources is, is how I was able to grow my business as fast as I was. And I credit that to the relationships that I built with good feed suppliers in the area. Uh, they provided me with, with high quality forage that I needed. So I haven't had a reason to try and take that on myself, nor uh, do I really want to put out that much capital toward buying all the equipment to raise my own feed or, or securing that land base in a really tight land area. It's just worked out benefiting the neighbors and their businesses and, and also benefiting mine and allowing me the opportunity to continue to grow. You mentioned having a really good relationship with your feed suppliers. And one of the things that often comes up when people try to have that conversation of do we buy it or do we raise it is this concern about nutrient management and being able to feed the quality of nutrients needed to get the milk production, get those components. When you looked at it, you mentioned the low returns. Is it all about low cost or is nutrient management still a factor when you're thinking about what you're buying? You no, know, I definitely look at the digestibility of the corn silage, the starch in the corn silage, the protein levels and RFQ and the haylage. That's very important because that also dictates how much forage I can feed to my cows. And I try and push forage as hard as I can because I think uh, for cow health and low cost uh, ration in general, that's, that's the best way to go from what I've penciled out. So I'm okay with, with having somebody else make some profit off my farm, as long as, as I can continue to grow my farm in, in the areas that I want to grow it in. So I, I love the, being able to have the opportunity to help my neighbors grow their businesses um, as well as grow mine, that we can both work together to achieve what we want. And the people that I work with on feed also understand the importance of having uh, high quality forage. They're not going to uh, send me junk because they realize I'm not going to buy it from them again, nor am I going to have the cash flow if, if it's not good feed to, to pay for it long-term. So um, they understand the importance of, of that. And we, we discuss that a lot in our uh, interactions. Paul, you, you talked a lot about relationships and how important those are to your farm. And especially as you're thinking about the nutritional value of the feed that you're buying, I want to take a step back to what you mentioned about net return and think about the process you went through to determine what it was going to cost you to actually raise feed if you're going to especially go out and rent the ground or even put the ground you had into some kind of forage. Because there's a really important thing that I, I think you've touched on here that I want you to expand on with this idea of Understanding your cost, what, what it's going to cost you to raise versus the value of what you can get buying the feed from somewhere else. So as you think about the cost and the nutrient uh, value of what you've got out there, kind of walk us through your process and how you thought about the return you would get from a cost of production standpoint, and then how that played into your relationship with your nutrient advisors to figure out how to get the best value of feed for your animals. Yeah, I guess the biggest thing that was really easy to figure is, okay, if I buy all this, make all these capital investments and in, in equipment, now I'm only going to put it over maybe 200 acres, whereas my neighbors are, are putting it over a thousand acres or 2000 acres. You know, that's probably the biggest no brainer right there. You don't really even have to put a pencil to paper when you figure that one out they're going to be able to do a lower cost than I am because of the equipment needs to even 
to do that first acre. So uh, that was probably the biggest thing for me is, hey, let them capitalize on their scale um, where they can capture that profit that I wouldn't even be able to capture anyways. So it makes their business more successful and, and helps them scale up in their business. Whereas I couldn't even afford to get to that first level. That's probably the biggest, the biggest thing for me. The other thing too is dairy farms that grow their own feed, they got to take what they get when they produce it, especially on things like haylage. I have neighbors that I get it from that if they already know it's not going to be as good a quality if it gets rained on a couple of times or, or something happens where it's just not going to be the quality that I need, they have other markets that they can go with that product to make sure that I can get the, the best quality. So I don't have to take a poor quality forage and a lot of instances because of that, which makes it work out pretty good. Same thing with, with corn silage even too, you know, if it gets too dry on you and you're growing your own, you still have to take it. Whereas I might be able to, they might be able to shift that to grain and I might be able to pick up that much more acres from, from one of the other neighbors that I work with as well for corn silage. So it's more, in my opinion, it's more flexible and uh, gives me the option for the highest quality forage at the, um, at a competitive price. Yeah. There's really this idea of trade-offs that you're talking about here. We're kind of going back to the, the, one of the earlier questions we asked about um, identifying strengths and, and areas that you do really well on the farm. Um, the capital investment's really important and being able to make those kind of decisions trade off of what, what you could do yourself versus the quality of what you could get. Um, and thinking about where to reinvest your time and your money is really important. So Paul, you mentioned with the idea of having a limited amount of acres, but buying the feed from elsewhere gives you a lot of ability to think about the nutrient management that you bring onto the farm. What about where those nutrients go after you fed them to the animals? You've got a lot of manure that often has to be placed somewhere. A lot of cases, farms will look to acquire ground just so they've got a place to put the manure. How do you handle that on the farm given the small amount of acres that you guys have? That goes back to the relationships that I've developed with my feed suppliers is obviously they're growing that feed on ground that uh, needs to have that nutrients replenished if I'm taking it off. That's really a two-way street. We, we work together both uh, nutrients coming off the field and going back on the field. I'm a big believer in, in the nutrient cycle and, and making sure that um, we have healthy soils. Because even if I don't own the land or am not farming the land, if that's where my feed is coming from, I want it to be healthy soil for the long term because I plan on buying feed for the long term. So I have just as much of a vested interest as the other, as the cropping farmer does in uh, making sure that that's being done right. And the other benefit I think too is most dairy farms around the state, um, they're usually just alfalfa and silage corn because that's what you need. And um, cropping farmers that I work with, I take a small portion of their uh, cropping acres for forage. So they have the opportunity because they have so many more acres to put more nutrients on uh, with manure on other crops and uh, also be able to have a good rotation to, to promote soil health. Whereas if I was uh, farming my own acres, I'd probably just try and source enough acres just to provide my own forage needs and that's it. That's another benefit um, when you work together and build a long-term relationship 
you can have those uh, increases in uh, efficiencies and environmental stewardship. This idea of trade-offs kind of continues and kind of the next question I want to ask you is thinking about labor costs. For dairy operations, feed and labor are typically your, your two greatest costs on the farm. And I wanted to ask you, how do you handle labor specifically in your operation? We uh, have four milking robots and a feed pusher robot. We did that to help with labor costs. The big thing on my farm is I knew I wasn't ever going to milk 800 cows here. And the parlor that I originally built on the farm, I built to milk 40 cows for a few years and see how things went. So uh, I knew I needed to make a, a capital investment in a, in a milking system. And I realized the, the best bang for my buck would probably be robots because of not being able to scale up large enough to make a large scale parlor as cost effective. That allowed us to bring down our labor pool that we had. And we refocused that labor from more of a single purpose labor to more of a flexible labor of now they're fetching cows, scraping the barn, pushing up feed, cleaning things around the farm, doing a lot of different things than, than what we had before where they were just basically doing one, one task. So that also opens up a labor pool because a lot more people are interested in being able to do 10 different things in a shift than they are just standing in a pit and, and milking cows all day. So that helped uh, actually increase our availability of labor and be more flexible as well on shifts of when that labor was available to work. Currently, we have uh, one person uh, that's, uh, I would say, heavy part-time. And then we have a, a couple other neighbors that like to help out, you know, here and there a few hours a week. So we've, that gives me flexibility. Like last week, I was off the farm for most of the week. Uh, one of my neighbors helped out fill in when I wasn't here with our, our normal part-time person. So that really works well and gives us a lot of flexibility. Now, the last question I want to ask you, Paul, is uh, as we think about getting into dairy farming and, and we kind of walk through your story a little bit about how you started out and where you've grown to this point. One of the things I'd like to ask you is kind of having this a chance to look back at how you got started and where you're at now. If you were to talk to somebody else or maybe talk to yourself back when you were starting, what kind of advice would you offer to a person that's looking to get into dairy farming now, especially if they want to take up this idea of a low cost approach? I think the biggest thing looking back on my dairy career so far in the last eight years is that I did right was uh, focusing my resources. With very limited resources, you have to focus those and what you had brought up before, that's what I, uh, I focused those on what I was good at and what I enjoyed, and then delegate those uh, other responsibilities to people that you develop good long-term relationships with. So focused approach, long-term relationship development, those would be the, probably the two biggest things, whether you're trying to go low cost approach or not, just if you're starting from scratch, that's in my opinion, probably the best thing to do. I did keep heifer calves for a little while and had a outside uh, contractor raising them for me. And that was probably one of my biggest regrets so far. Like I said, I really enjoyed buying cattle and um, I kind of missed that for that period of time that we did have them. And there's just a lot of variation and variability in what we got back. And 
I couldn't control it near as much. So that's the other point I guess I would make is uh, focus on things that on, on developing a system that you can control well the the outcomes with buying cows I, I usually now I've bought enough of them I know what I'm getting most of the time I know the right farms to buy them from and it's it's pretty consistent uh, animal that I'm getting as a replacement well Paul one of the things you mentioned was learning some things and looking back at at how you maybe do some things differently and one of the, I think the main keys you mentioned is how important it is to to have relationships with with people and use some of that advice of people that's got some good experience to to kind of learn as you go along and definitely always continuing to learn on an operation especially as you start to think about identifying what things that you do really well and being able to focus on those I think that's really important for a dairy operation, especially as you're trying to maximize that revenue and think about those components. And I think you highlight that really well in terms of how you manage your feed situation on the limited acres. I think it's really important for people getting into the dairy industry to think about how to manage that feed. In your case, buying allows you to have a bit more flexibility in managing the quality of the feed you get while being able to utilize the capital you've got, which I think is really a, a nice thing for, for people looking to get into dairy farming to think about. And having that team of people you work with to manage the nutrients, uh, both coming on the farm and, and going off the farm as you're, as you're thinking about how things kind of work both ways, but also thinking about how you utilize your operation and those strengths to also deal with the labor costs is, is really important to being able to be successful in a low cost environment or if you're looking to be a, a much larger operation. I think this is really great information, Paul. I really thank you for, for taking the time to kind of walk us through your operation and talk to us about your low cost approach to dairy farming and really appreciate you coming out today. Yeah, thanks for having me, John, appreciate it. Thank you, Paul and John for that interesting conversation. I hope this episode have provided new ideas multiple approaches that can be taken as we either start a dairy or as we modify our approach into a different style of management that can be successful. For those interested in additional information or to provide us feedback regarding this podcast, you can reach out to me at C-A-R-R-A-S-Q1 at msu.edu. Join us next week when dairy educator Marianne Morosky will interview Dr. Matt Gammons they will have a conversation regarding carbon credits for dairy. I'm looking forward to that episode next week, and I hope you'll join us then.